Hola, hi everyone, and welcome to the Ondas Podcast. I am your host, Amelie Homer. And I am so excited to have for you today a beautiful guest, beautiful Afro-Latina, Yvette Pena. She is the multicultural marketing leader for AARP, and she's working with the Smithsonian to put a new museum on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., the Museum of the American Latino. I noticed that you've been wearing your hair curly <laughs> these days. Well, I, hair has always been a part of my life. You know, as a little girl, I did have little ringlets. I had little ringlets that my mom would take in her hand and the curls would form. But you know what, as I was growing up in New York City, you know, um, our moms were just very afraid of, of me and my cousins, discrimination in, in school, discrimination around different circles of little girls con pelo lacio. And so it's something that Dominicans always did. You know, they started straightening hair and, you know, there went my curls. Um, uh, it wasn't the most memorable process because as a little girl, you know, with very long hair, it's, you know, straightening the hair. Back then, I think it did have lye and so it would burn the scalp. You would get under the, the hair dryer with rollos bigger than your own head. And it was a process that was done weekly that I hated. I would cry in the hair dryer. But, you know, it was just something that I came to accept. And, you know, the, the thinking was that to look more professional or to fit in, your pillar had to be last year. You had to fit in with the non-girls of color. And so it was something that I grew up with and I had in my mind until I was an adult. You know, and as an adult, I just started working with different influencers at AARP. I had so many women that I looked up to. You know, Amara La Negra really started talking about Afro-Latinas, but I'm gonna tell you something that somebody told me the other day. We've been here. You know, I think the Black Lives Movement really just overemphasized that there are Afro-Latinos and that the same social injustices that are faced by the Black community are faced by Latinos of color. And so my mom felt that by having a pelo last year for me, would kind of help me not go through that, but but the color of my skin never changed because yo soy negra, you know, I've always been black. And so seeing these women own their hair, like Amara La Negra, Shirley Tavares from House of Curls, I saw her and I saw her beautiful curls and I did some work with her and some other women, you know, Lulu Cordero of, you know, the, the founder and entrepreneur of Bomba Curls. And I'm seeing these women selling products and talking to their hair and I got inspired and I'm like, I want to do that because I am an Afro-Latina and I have this type of hair. So it's been a little over a year that I went to Ms. Riso's salon, another uh, Carolina Contreras, another powerhouse of an Afro-Latina. And I went to her salon in New York and I got the big chop. I cut off all my hair and I started the curly hair journey. And it's been about a year that I've been, you know, nurturing my curly hair, looking at YouTube videos, looking at Instagram, looking at all these powerful women who are just owning their hair and what they're doing. And so I've learned every day is a different journey. Every day I wash it. I order different products from all of these women and I've embraced it. And you know what? I feel the same, but I feel more empowered because this is who I am. I have gone back to my roots as a little girl where my mother had the little ringlets that would just form and they still form. So, so it's embracing my identity, you know, as this first generation Afro-Latina 
daughter of immigrants that I've always been, but I look in the mirror and I love what I see, Amalia. I love what I see. And I'm so happy that I can embrace it and still feel myself. Well, you look amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank so I you. love what I see too. <laughs> Gracias. I, I'm loving it. I went through the same experience with work. I think I spent the past, uh, I mean, of the 20 years that I've been in my organization, 16 years, I wore my hair straight because of the same reasons that you just explained. And, you know, also, you know, being raised thinking that, you know, first of all, long hair is beautiful, but straight long hair is even more beautiful. And now embracing the curls, um, it's, a, it's I, I feel the same way, very empowered and 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 somewhat liberated. Um, and, I, and I see that um, as a growing, you know, there's this growing movement, you know, and not, not just here in the States, I'm seeing it in Dominican Republic, I'm seeing it in Puerto Rico, where more and more Afro Latinas are embracing their curls. And so, um, you know, I'm, it's a beautiful thing to see you sort of also representing and influencing from from that perspective as well. Um, so, so tell me, so you say you're Afro Latina, right? Is that your, is that how you identify? Have you always identified that way? Or was there a point in time where you felt like you really were more in touch with, with what that meant to you? You know, it's, it's also been a journey. It's also been a journey because you know what, growing up in New York, you know, as a little girl, you know, when I was in school, I was always very conflicted because when I would take tests and self-identify, there was never a box that said you're black and you're Latina. It was either white, black or other. And then I was like, was I really other? And so a lot of times I would click black because I would look at my skin. I'm like, pero yo soy negra, pero también hablo español. The black community was like, no girl, you're not black. You're not black because you speak Spanish. And so I was always a bit con conflicted, you know? Um, I didn't hear about the term Afro-Latina until you know, not really that long ago. I mean, it was a term that people did not use. I would hear it and I'm like, wow, that is what I am. But I would always identify as a black Latina. I just didn't know how to put the terms together. And even in, in you know, when you, when you do a survey or you do something, there still isn't that box. But when I am asked, I am an Afro Latina. Why? My ancestors came from Africa, traveled through Spain and Portugal, through Cuba, Puerto Rico, into the Dominican Republic. And so I have Puerto Rican and Cuban blood and God only knows what else, because when our ancestors traveled through, through Africa, you know, there's a, a real big mix of culture. So when I say that Afro, I say it with, with pride because it's the ancestral journey. And Latina, because I'm Latina, Hispanic, whatever it is you want to call me, but I do speak Spanish and I have all these proud ethnic roots, these Caribbean roots, you know, that I honor and I live every day. And so the combination of both the Afro-Latina, I just feel it's the right thing and the right way for me, especially, you know, as a first generation Latina, for me to tell, you know, my little cousins, I have up to four generations, you know, your titi, your auntie, your primita, you know, I'm, I'm an Afro-Latina and this is why, you know, that education to help them to help them grow. And these fourth generation cousins aren't even speaking the language. And so it's important for me as a first generation Latina to help educate them when they come and they ask me, when they see me on social media, when they see me on TV, because they do a lot, of, um, a lot of work and I'm on TV a lot so that they understand who I am, what I am and their heritage as well. It's very important 
never to forget where you came from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a first generation Latina, you know, I think that is even more meaningful, right, for you. Um, same, same with me. I have a similar experience. The language is an important part of that. Um, and I am seeing more of the younger generations not fully embracing the language. What are your thoughts about that? And, and does that change anything about being Afro-Latino or, or even Latino um, and, and, and what that represents? I feel it's a miss for the generation not to embrace it. I do feel that sometimes it is a choice and I feel that it's up to the household, the parents in the household to speak a little bit of Spanish, to make sure that these fourth, fifth generations um, uh, speak to their family members, mis tias, the Peña sisters, as I call them. A lot of them don't speak a lot of good Spanish. So when the younger generations have to speak to them, you gotta say little words in Spanish to communicate. So I feel it's an asset. Like for me, being bilingual has been an asset in my career. It's been an asset in the things that I do and my ability to communicate with the Latino community and it's opened doors in my career. So I feel that it starts in the household. I also feel that it's important that if they don't want to embrace it in the household, that they at least take it in school so that they learn it and then they can do the conversational Spanish at home with the, with the grandmothers or great grandmothers. But I feel that if it's something that we've been born into, that it's almost like doing a disservice to themselves not to have another generation and another another language. And, and these generations sometimes don't see it as such. And I think it's our, our duty as the older adults in the families to kind of mention it, to kind of mention it and bring it up and put on Univision, put on Telemundo every now and then, put on a little bit of Mark Anthony, you know, put on a little bit of Alejandro Fernandez just to get them, you know, in the culture because there's a lot of Latinos that identify as Latinos, but they're more of the English preferred. They're still Afro-Latinos. They may not speak the language, but they may be living the culture. But think about the experience, how much fuller and richer it could be if they also spoke Spanish, understood it, and, and were able to better communicate with the older generations. I agree. I agree. I think it, it is a miss. It's it's like an asset that you've been given. <laughs> it's it's a special skill that you've been given, almost like a superpower. And it's a superpower. Uh, I use mine. Right. That's your that's your phrase. I love that you use that. You know. Uh, and I think people need to embrace it a lot more. Um, do you think that corporations? I mean, you've been lucky enough to be in a role that has allowed you the ability to use your language, right? And use and fully, you know, show up authentically. Latina. Not everybody has that opportunity, but do you think that organizations, corporations, businesses should also be doing something, not just the families, but but those businesses should also be doing something to support those individuals that identify as Latinos or Afro-Latinos? Because I feel like they also have an asset to leverage. Yeah, I, I feel that it's very important because it's a diversity of thought. You know, it's a diversity of thought that we bring you know, understanding where the growth is. The growth is in the Latino community. So if you're talking to what people call a general market or what I like to call a mass market, a mass audience, and you don't feel that you're talking to people of color and other ethnic, um, other ethnic generations within it, you don't really understand. You don't really understand. It is a multi-generational United States of America. And so 
if people don't understand that in corporate America, they're missing out on these large pockets, right? These large pockets of growth. And so they miss out on the ability to speak in a culturally relevant way to them. You know, there's a lot of corporations out there who are doing it right. You know, they're leading with Latino and ethnic insights because they know that the growth segments are in Hispanic, African-American, Asian, the explosion of the Asian community, for example. So you cannot discount it. Another big thing is, for example, you know, when I used to work at Sears, I was a brand manager for two of their biggest brands, Kenmore and Craftsman, for the mass market, the general market. I was able to bring in my insights and say, hey, don't forget that Latinos come to the United States looking for the American dream. Why not make Sears their first stop for that American dream to get their appliances, to get all the things they need? Remember, a lot of blue collar workers are Latinos. How can you sell tools to Latinos and not tell them what you have and speak to them in a culturally relevant way? So in a general market position, by my knowing all of this knowledge, we were able to build campaigns targeting Latinos in a culturally relevant way, both in English and in Spanish. So this is the asset that, you know, people that know different languages and people that really know the ethnic markets bring to different corporations. I agree. And that's, that really speaks to bringing your Latinidad to, to what you do. Um, and, and you've been really successful at that um, in your history, in your career. Um, and now, most notably, with your role as vice chair to the Friends of the National Museum of the American Latino. Congratulations on that, by the way. Um, Thank you. Can you tell me, I don't know that a lot of people know about that project um, and how it's come to be and where we're at today. Can you talk a little bit about that, sure. the history, what it is and, and, and your role in, 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 that, sure. in that project? Well, this, this group, the Friends of the National American Latino Museum is, is something near and dear to my heart. Um, it began in 2004 by a small group of advocates, and they wanted to create a national museum dedicated to American Latinos because we need a place to tell our stories. And so it has grown to become this nationwide initiative supported by the top lawmakers, business leaders, and legendary artists. The Estefans, Rita Moreno, a lot of different folks came together to start, right? So the only logical thing after this is that the Smithsonian Museum could be the most appropriate house for a museum addressing all of these Latino stories, these cultures, but most importantly, addressing all these glaring omissions of the contributions throughout history. For example, we're talking about Afro-Latinos, this journey of Latinos right through Africa. So this museum will advocate and provide future generations with a place to learn, to learn about their history and to serve and to better tell, you know, this history, which includes this lesson in the contribution of American Latinos. A lot of us don't know our history. A lot of, a lot of us don't know the Mexican journey, the, the African journey. And so, we need a Smithsonian Museum 
on the National Mall in Washington, D.C., with a prominent position, like the African American Museum. That museum was built from the ground up with cultural relevance. If you understand the structure and the architecture, there's a lot of history that's in there. When you walk in there, you go to that bottom floor and you see that anchor of a black slave ship, you get goosebumps and you feel it. That's my journey. But when you go into that museum, it's missing that whole Latino piece. There's a very small piece on a map. And that is what we're trying to build. So the Friends of the American Latino Museum, this group is working hard to find a location to help build the corporate funding, to help build all of these funders, to help build the, the, the essentials that are needed for us to give that over to the Smithsonian team to help them start building. So what we're doing is we're kind of like priming the pump, trying to get all of this information and raise money, right? For this capital campaign to get that museum. Now in times of COVID, there's a lot of opportunities for us to raise awareness, for us to do things digitally, to let people know what's going on. And so it's a lot of de dedicated people. It's a volunteer position. Again, it's my hard work um, to be part of history so that the future generations can walk in and find an identity. We want to tell stories, right? And have, you walk into the African-American Museum, you walk into the Museum of the American Indian, and you're going in for an experience. You're going in to, to be told a story, and that is what we're trying to do because we need to have our stories told. What I love about it, on top of the fact that you're um, part of the leadership team driving this effort, um, is that it's backed by Congress. Uh, there's a legislation that has approved this project um, for it to move forward and, and for us to have this, this museum built and dedicated to the Latino community. So it's very exciting, um, but, but it's also su supported by, by our government. And so that's, that's been a huge um, part of the journey, right? Um, and yes. so I know there's a lot more work to come and that a lot of people are doing this as volunteer work, including yourself. But uh, you know, I think the fact that there's so much support for it um, and that support is coming from our government, I think is a, is a huge step forward. Uh, yes. So we're, I'm excited to see more to come, right? But um, it, what do you see to come. next in your vision, um, you know, in, especially in this new leadership role that you have? Well, you know, this legislative victory is a testament to what our community can accomplish when we work together. There have been two decades of volunteers and people leading this initiative. So this just didn't happen overnight. There's still so much work, you know, with this new, with the legislation already being passed, it's half the battle. So what we need to do this, this board and this new executive body is to really work hard with the Smithsonian to get the funding, to make sure that we get a good location. It's very important for us to be on the National Mall with a prominent location. And that is what we're working with, with a lot of the different um, elected officials. We have to get the donations going. We have to get a capital campaign. So these are a lot of the things that we're doing, a lot of fundraising, because that is the next step. Because our goal is, is um, for the Friends of the American Latino Museum at one point to not exist. 
for us to be able to take all this work and work side by side with the Smithsonian, volunteer with them, but to really have the Smithsonian take ownership of this, of this movement. If you wanted to learn more for the folks that are listening in, where do you go to get information about this? Because I really do think this is something that could be really powerful if there's more of us united to, to support it. Well, there is a website for the Friends of the American Latino Museum. Please go there. Um, you know, we're also telling um, our folks to call, email, tweet your representatives in Congress and tell them to make sure we get a Latino museum right in the mall, right next to other museums. That hashtag is Latino Museum Now. It's a big part of what we're doing. Also to donate and encourage others, you know, to also donate, um, to be part, so that they can be part of the Latino Museum Open because we understand that if people don't feel that they're a part of something, it's very hard for them to want to donate. It's very hard for them to want to say, this is for me. This is our museum. You know, we're just a small body of people pushing it, but this is our museum. You know, this is a, a place for, for us to take our kids and our kids to take their kids and future generations. And so this is everybody taking an active part. There's gonna be a lot of things on social media coming up very soon. And, you know, uh, the Friends of the American Latino Museum are very active on, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. So everybody just look out for it. There's going to be a lot more things that we're going to need for people to do and we're going to need their support. I love it. I love it. I can't wait to see more. Um, I wanted to ask you, I mean, given, you know, the fact that this museum is really dedicated to the Latino community. Um, you know, I always think about how diverse it's going to be, right? We're not a homogenous uh, demographic, right? We are made up of so many different individuals that come from so many different places across the globe, by the way. And so, you know, given that and given sort of this, the current state of, you know, this social unrest and the, and the race movement, um, and even the insurrection that happened at the nation's capital, you know, what, how do you feel about how Afro-Latinos are showing up, particularly um, in light of those, those uh, situations that are happening in our current macro environment? Well, I'll tell you, I had, I had a discussion with somebody who's near and dear to my heart yesterday, and she said something. She says, we've always been here, Yvette. Afro-Latinos have always been here, present. You know, the Black Lives Matter movement has just helped us elevate our voice. But she says, ahora es como que estamos, estamos de moda. You know, it's like now it's like we're in style, but we've always been here. And I think this, this Black Lives Matter movement, this platform has helped us elevate the same systemic racist issues, the systemic racism that's been happening to us and our loved ones because my family faced it in New York. Why? Because we're all dark skinned. So we're also using that as a platform, right? to come together with our black brothers and sisters to help make change, to help talk to our elected officials, to help unite. I think the biggest thing is unity. Latinos, Asians, African-Americans coming together to stop it because we've even seen the xenophobia, unfortunately, that's growing day by day in the Asian community, for example. It's us coming together. If some of us were dormant and weren't, weren't identifying as Afro-Latino, now is the time to come out and speak up and do something and take action. 
you work in an organization doing the kind of work that you and I do, Amalie, have a courageous conversation. Help educate people. Because a lot of times there's a lack of education. I bet you a lot of people in organizations don't know what an Afro-Latino is, but they look at one every day and they see us functioning and operating. So it's us taking a stand, us being verbal, us being bold and courageous, right? To make systemic change because now is an opportunity. There's momentum. Let's not lose it. Let's take it. But we have to work in unity. And like you said it, it's not a homogenous Latino community. Just like in the African-American, they come from different places and depending on where they come from, it's different, but we're all fighting the same things. So it's coming together, this unity, but taking action. It's not staying silent. Those of us who have been silent, wake up. Wake up. Now is the time. I agree. And I, I, I think that, um, you know, again, back to the superpower, I think being Afro-Latino brings that that level of this, you know, power of unification, as you said. Um, and, you know, I think it's so important now more than ever, but but it is going to be something that we keep working on, right? It doesn't just stop today. It doesn't just stop with one conversation. We need to continue to talk about it and elevate it. And you're doing an amazing job in what you do today, but just, you know, how you support the community. And can you talk about ways that you are supporting the community today outside of work, right? Because I know you are do, you are living a purposeful life at work. You're doing a purposeful, you're living a purposeful life, even in some of the, you know, the, the, the work that you're doing through other organizations organizations. Um, but what are some other ways that you are supporting the community um, in, in kind of unifying and, and, and addressing some of these systemic issues that exist today? Yeah, one, one big way is, you know, we, we at ARP, we work with a lot of different organizations. So they can call me at any time, the Unidos US, LULAC, um, the She Se Puede, the We Are All Human, um, Latinas for Security Time. They can call me at any time. And I'm there speaking to the community, giving out information, because my job is to inform the community, to give them information, give them resources that they don't have to pay for. So whatever movement, whatever whatever is needed from me, right now it's all virtual, but when it wasn't virtual, it would be in person. You know, the National Hispanic Council on Aging, when Janita calls me for anything that's related to the 50 plus and aging and caregiving, I'm there. So speaking, giving resources. I also give a lot, you know, I, I, um, I follow the Franciscan mission because it just kills me to know that people don't have food. So I give to all those bread lines. I give to a lot of um, charities and, and anything that has to do with feeding people is something that I've taken on because um, I never went hungry as a child, but I lived a very humble life, you know, and to hear that people even now at this time in times of COVID do not have food. I've been giving consistently to the Chicago Food Depository. That's where I'm at right now. Um, You know, I do anything that our foundation does with uh, food drives and donation. We had a virtual one and I went out and filled boxes and bought food and mailed them out, you know. Anything that has to do with food and people being hungry, I just can't fathom that people don't have a piece of bread, that a child has to go to school to get at least two meals a day. 
it's just hard for me to believe. So anything that I can do with feeding people, feeding children, especially the elderly, um, I'm, I'm there. And any, I think anything anybody calls me for, I mean, I'm just ready to, to serve. I mean, I serve with my heart. If, if, it's, if it has to be with financial or just being there, I mean, I will be there. It's just um, what's near and dear to me. Um, and I'm, I may get in trouble for saying this, but I feel like there's a, this is nurturing side of, you know, the, the, again, we're talking about the power of women, right? And I think some of what you're saying speaks to me in that, you know, as a woman, you kind of feel like you have to do more to take care of people, right? Take care of the, take care of the children, take care of um, people who are struggling or marginalized. And, and so speaking to the power of women, are there any um, women, strong women that you work with today, um, or even in your lifetime that have inspired you, um, in, 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 in the things that you do today? There's a lot of women. Um, there's a lot of women, uh, that have inspired me, that I've worked with, that I follow, that there's something about them at some point in their lives, because they're doing things that mean a lot to me. I'm going to start with my number one hero, uh, Chief Justice Sonia Sotomayor, you talk about opening doors. You talk about being the first and not being the last, but she has opened up so many doors, right? Never worked with her, but oh my God, the things that she does. I mean, the next one that's like on top of my mind for obvious reasons is our Madam Vice President, Kamala Harris. I mean, you look at her and you, you feel that it's your story, daughter of immigrants. Single mom, right here. You know, humble beginnings, pushing education. You know, my aunts were educators in the Dominican Republic. And so most of my cousins from my generation are all college grads. They have MBAs. We have doctors. We have engineers. We have, you, you name a profession and they're there. So I, I really identify with that. I think of the inauguration. All of these women that were there, you know, Jennifer Lopez, I've always loved her because I'm from New York. I'm from Manhattan. I followed her career as a fly girl, but it's it's that it's that notion of yes, you can. She always had dreams. It's like follow your dreams. Um, it doesn't matter where you came from. She came from very humble beginnings. Jenny from the block. That's true. She came from the Bronx, and look at where she is. You know, you know there are journalists out there that I love. I love Ilya Calderon. I love what she stands for. I love that she identifies as an Afro-Latina. And I hear her speak it and it's a, it's a lot of power. You know, I've done a lot of work with Marilena Salinas, representing women and journalists and power. And now she's on, on CBS. I mean, that to me is big. I have a bunch of books here. You know, Gabi Natale, you know, with this, um, the virtuous circle, the things that she's doing as an entrepreneur, empowering women, Another one here, Jen Hemphill, Her Dinero Matters, talking about the missing truth, money advice for women. I mean, I just look for women who are out there who are empowering. Um, the She Se Pueda movement, I just can't get enough of Ms. Monica Ramirez, you know, who founded, you know, the uh, Migrant Workers for Women, Eva Longoria, America Ferreira, and so many others. I mean, all of these movements that are here for you and I and for all these women to empower us, you know, in, in, the, in the circle of the non-for-profit, the Cindy Benavides, you know, CEO of LULAC, one of my sheroes, Alejandra Castillo, the former 
CEO of the YWCA, a Dominicana from New York City. You know what I'm saying? There's just so many things. And then because it's such a virtual world, there's so many influencers out there that I love. You know, I keep mentioning Shirley Tavares. You know, she's the entrepreneur and founder of House of Curls. Amara La Negra started talking about Afro-Latinos and empowering us to wear our hair and to talk about it. We have Ana Flores, the founder of We All Grow. You talk about a platform about empowering women. And I do do a lot of work with her because I believe in what she does. My new hero, Lulu Cordero, Dominicana, the CEO and founder of Bomba Curls, she founded a product. And guess where it's sold now? In Nordstrom. So you talk about these powerful Latina women, you know, who are out there, who are examples, you know, and I want to follow these women. I want to be like them. I want to help amplify. I buy their products. I buy Shirley's t-shirts. I use all of the Bomba Curls. I buy the books. I buy the books. You know, we need to put our money where our mouths are and we need to support these women. We need to be this support structure for each other. Another woman that I love near and dear to my heart, Dr. Betty. She's an author, she's an entrepreneur, she's a businesswoman. She's actually on the board of the Friends of the American Latino Museum. People that are out there being an example for us during COVID, Every day she had like a spiritual check-in to make sure that people had a platform to speak and to go to. I mean, these are things that come from our hearts. And like you said, maybe it's the nurturing piece of it. I don't know what it is, but these are women who are seen beyond, you know, yeah. a, a pandemic came, a crisis came. They were writing books. They were selling products. They were getting their products into Nordstrom. Oh, my God, you talk about my being energized. I just have to go online or have somebody say, hey, I got a book, go on Amazon, buy it. Or a lot of these entrepreneurs who are sending me books so I can read them and grow. Uh, and, and that's what I wanna do. That is the fuel that adds to my superpower of being this Afro-Latina woman that I am. I didn't do it alone. Another thing that I do a lot is mentorship. I spend a lot of my days and weekends mentoring people who call me, text me, email. They find me on, on LinkedIn. I can't tell you the messages after I speak in different places and after my commercials kept coming out, people writing to me, a lot of students. Oh my God, what an honor. People in different walks of life. I wanna talk to you. I wanna hear about your journey. I heard about your journey. You sound like me, you look like me. What an honor. And the power of mentoring, the power of sponsorship, I have been blessed in my entire career to have sponsors in my corporations that look for me as a high potential, you know, me seeking out mentors and me mentoring. Because Amalia, if we don't pay it forward, you know, it, it doesn't come back to you. And I believe in that paying it forward. And I do it through the entrepreneurs, through the mentoring, through helping people not be hungry. It's just, it's just a part of who I am. It's beautiful. You're, you're my, uh, powerful, oh, inspiring thank woman. You're inspiring me, but I, you know, I think again, above all, and a message that I keep hearing, you know, the theme that I keep hearing in this conversation we're having is, you know, th this unification, you know, and, and I think that is the movement and, and whether it's the race movement that has, 
that has pushed us even further forward or has kind of reactivated it or what have you. It just, it feels amazing to be continually connected to this broader network of amazing, powerful, inspiring women such as yourself, Yvette. I'm honored to have you on this in this conversation. Um, but if there's one message that you can deliver to the audience in terms of, you know, what Afro-Latinos can, can, can you know, mean to, to folks out there, what would that message be? I would say, you know what, you have to own who you are and be your authentic self. Have goals and know that yes, you can. Don't let anyone stop you because of who you, how, what you look like, the color of your skin, where you come from, your background. You have to own who you are, but you have to own who you are and live up to it. It's not just, oh, I'm Afro Latino and that's that. You know, we have to always take action in our lives. I've given so many actions here that I've taken and I hope that I've inspired others, but it's about knowing who you are. It's about owning it. It's about paying it forward. And it's about taking an action. I think the Black Lives Matter movement have empowered all of us to see the racial and social injustices that have been out there. And if you have been asleep, wake up. We all need to be woke. We all need to work together, unified, juntos. As we say at ARP, juntos es posible. And yes, it is. We have to unify and be together. I think that right now is not the time to take a back seat. It is not the time to take a back seat. It's time for action. And you got to do it with your heart. Everything I do, I do with amor. I really do. I call it heart work. You know, make it come from an authentic place. And when you do things from this authentic place, good things happen. Blessings come. I'm a woman of faith as well. You know, good things come. That's why I believe in paying it forward because it comes back to you with blessings. That's right. That's right. Um, my my mom always jokes because uh, she she you know would cook these meals for me uh, growing up, and you know uh, one day you know I at, the meal was really delicious, and I was saying, "Ay, mami, está tan deliciosa esta comida," and she says, well, well, you know, you know what I use? I use the formula." And I said, "What's the formula?" She goes, "I use love." <laughs> and so I always believe that at the heart of everything we do, when you use love, you know, it, you really do sort of give, you know, uh, meaning uh, and purpose to to everything you do. And, and it just it is a unifier, is a way of uplifting and inspiring and bringing people forward. Um, but I have one fun question for you before we leave. And that is um, what is we were talking about food and the importance of food in the <laughs> Latino community. I have to. I have to bring it back. You know, what's your favorite Latino dish? I'm going to tell you, Dominicana style thing, my favorite dish is mango. Oh, that's my And if you look at my social media feed, every time I make mango, I post it. I'm going to tell you why. Mango is, is, is mashed plantains and it's boiled. And it's mm -hmm. a food that my mm -hmm. mom would make. And I'm going to tell you what's special about it. We would go to church on Sundays. We went to Catholic school. So the Catholic school around the block, you had to go on Sundays. It was part of what we did. My mom would stay back and prepare breakfast. So back then in the Catholic religion, you had to fast before you took communion. Mm -hmm. So my, 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 yep. loop, my brother and I would go to, go to church, basically run back. And when we, we would come home, my mom would have a mango 
con huevo frito, salchichón y oh queso God. frito. So we would have that meal. And so that meal has always been com a comfort for me. I would go to the Dominican Republic for the summers with my tío niño and my cousins and, and the staple was mangu. And so it's just, there's so many memories to it. And so every opportunity that I can, that I find my little platano, or as I call, Americans call it platano macho, you know, I make my mangu and it just, it just warms my heart. <laughs> I'm with you. I, I, you just brought me, you brought me back. You brought me back home. Uh, you know, I, mangu con, con chuleta frita, mangu Heck, you name it. I the fried cheese. I, I love it all. Um, but that was my staple, and and I'm with you. I, like true Dominicanas. <laughs> um, but you have given me so many amazing hashtags. First of all, if you didn't hear the hashtag about the museum, Latino Museum now. Follow it. Trend it. Contribute. Be a part of that movement. Salud, dinero y amor. Obviously, I feel like that should be the mantra for everybody. Live your life to the fullest. Be healthy. Be intentional. Um, you know, live with love, you know, and purpose in your in, in everything that you do. And, you know, junto es posible. Of course, junto es posible. Let's unify as Afro-Latinos to help in the race movement that's happening today. Um, and if you said that you were busy before Yvette, you're going to be even busier now when people hear this because so inspiring, so beautiful, the things that you are doing today. You know, please keep it going. Um, we cannot have you stop ever. I don't think I'll ever see that happening. But, you know, anything that you need, obviously, from me i'm Gracias. here for you and you know hopefully you'll get you know additional support out there from listeners um and thank you so much again an honor to have you on and um be a part of of this podcast and now a part of my world Gracias. <laughs> and, and for me it's been an honor uh well to get to know you to be on the podcast and um for you to do what you're doing you're you're giving us platforms you know it's very important to have these platforms so i commend you for what you do too because you are doing wonderful things for the community y te quiero decir gracias y un honor estar aquí contigo oh my gosh el honor es mío <laughs> but thank you I, this is the least that i can do i want to elevate our voices and make sure that people know that we're out there we're leading and we're we're making things happen but i also want to make sure that we're unifying as well so thank you again oh thank you <laughs> can you tell them a little bit passionate about uh what i do <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what a powerhouse. Thanks so much for joining me and our esteemed Afro-Latina, Yvette Peña. And please check us out on social media. Our handle is Ondas Podcast. And spread the word. Let's elevate our Afro-Latin voices. Mucho amor. Hasta la próxima.